0: Coming up today on The Story.
1: We saw an advertisement for a Reconciliation meeting and uh, so we were interested and we, we went along to this meeting and when we walked in we were surprised that it was being led by an Anglican priest and he prophesied over us before we had a chance to sit down. And he said, you don't even need to do anything about Reconciliation.
0: You're a living, walking reconciliation. The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Author Barbara Miller is married to Norman, an Aboriginal Australian, and says that when they were married, her mother refused to come to the wedding. Today, we'll hear Barbara's story and why she has a very keen interest in working for Aboriginal Advancement. Also, we'll find out her mother's reaction when she and Norman came to visit her for the first time. All that and more is coming up today as Barbara shares her story with Eric Scatabo. Barbara Miller, welcome to the program.
1: Wonderful, Eric. Thank you so much.
0: Glad to have you
2: with us. And you're coming to us today from Cairns in northern Queensland. Is that right?
1: Yes, that's right.
2: Thank you so much for joining us. And before we get to that moment when your mother met Norman for the very first time, let's find out a little bit about your background and what led up to that occasion. Where were you born and raised?
1: I was born in Ipswich, which is near Brisbane in Queensland, Mm -hmm. and grew up in a working-class family and not a Christian family. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, I really wanted to go to church.
2: Oh, just on your own?
1: On my own. So as a primary school student, I would walk quite a long way to church on a Sunday and walk back home again. So my my interest was there from an early age. Oh, wow. Even though my family didn't like me doing it. (laughs) Was that right?
2: But you stuck to your guns and, and went anyway?
1: Yes, I did, yes.
2: Well, that tells us a little bit about your personality from a young age.
1: Yes, I remember one day walking home from school and i was reading the bible walking home wow and the presbyterian minister who used to do the religious education at school he stopped me and he said you know um <laughs> you probably need to be a bit careful <laughs> reading that while you're walking home and i said oh look while you're at it um can you tell me what the sin is against the holy ghost because that one can't be forgiven. And he looked at me <laughs> quite amazed, but he answered my question. I can't remember what he said, but it relieved my mind at the time.
2: Wow. So from a very young age, you had a general curiosity of the ways of the Lord and the Bible. Yes. Wow, that's that's amazing. And how old were you when all that happened?
1: I can't remember exactly. I might have been about 11.
2: Okay. And so how long did you go to church? How many years?
1: Oh, I I continued uh, going through uh, to church until I went to university. Mm -hmm. And while I was at university, that's when I actually gave my heart to the Lord uh, because I got involved with an evangelical union group at Mm -hmm. the university and they talked about you actually have to give your heart to the Lord. (laughs) So I did.
2: And then at university, you were on fire for the Lord, I guess you could say, starting to evangelize at the school?
1: Yes. Uh, so, there were a group of um, rads, we called them. They were Marxists, and they had a bookstall outside the Reef called Eatery, which was a great gathering place for students. Mm-hmm. So, uh, with two friends of mine, I set up a Christian bookstall on the other side of the, <laughs> of the doorway, and bought some Christian books, which were resold for the same price. But also, I had a lot of Gideon's Bibles that I would give away, mm-hmm. and I actually covered them with jazzy covers. <laughs> and there was a lot of interest from the students, and it was a great opportunity to evangelize.
2: Now, did you get into some interesting conversations with the Marxists?
1: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> As you might imagine, yeah. because we were, we were both touting for people to, you know, as they went in and out of the, uh, the refect to, to eat, we were there sort of trying to gather their interests in our position. So, mm-hmm. yes.
2: Some interesting discussions there. Okay, at this point, let's switch over to your future husband, Norman. How did he become a Christian?
1: Now, his story is very different from mine because mm-hmm. he grew up in a very Christian household. So he was going to Sunday school when he was young and being taught by his mother and his aunties. And his mother is just such an awesome woman of prayer. Mm-hmm. And so all the children gave their heart to the Lord and uh, are part of our church today. Oh, is that right? Oh, yes. So he had a. A wonderful grounding.
2: Mm-hmm. And then how did the two of you meet?
1: Well, the funny thing about it is that w- I was friends with his parents and I was invited to his 21st birthday party. Oh. And met him there and uh, wasn't sort of interested at that stage. But yeah, we met again later on and uh, things started from there.
2: Okay. And, uh, As we heard in the introduction, he's an Aboriginal Australian, and were there any difficulties in the relationship because of those differences?
1: Okay, so with my husband's family, uh, they've been very welcoming. Uh, They've been absolutely awesome. I I often um, say that with my husband's mother, it's like a Naomi Ruth because she's so wonderful we're so close mm-hmm. with um, my own mother however uh, it was a different story mm-hmm. she refused to come to our wedding because of him being Aboriginal and uh,
2: now was she like racist I mean had you always known that that was a possibility that she might reject him or what was uh, the background?
1: I knew that there was a bit of a track record there yes mm-hmm. okay <laughs> so so
2: that wasn't a surprise when she didn't want to come to the wedding
1: not really. Uh, My father came, though. He thought he'd better do his duty and come along, and uh, so did my brother, my only brother. I have no sisters. So uh, they just actually were won over by coming to the wedding.
2: Oh, the actual wedding helped win them over?
1: Yes, it helped with my father and my brother.
2: What do you think it was about the wedding oh, that helped just win
1: the because Norman's family was so friendly and and welcoming, and mm-hmm. uh, so I think it always helps to meet real people of mm-hmm. the the group that you have a, a bad opinion of. Mm-hmm. It actually helps to meet members of that group and find out. Wow, these are really wonderful people after all.
2: Yeah, that I should probably open my heart to them. Yes. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So, with regard to my mother, um, Norman was quite hurt about it. Mm-hmm. So, he had to deal with his own feelings there. And so, he spent a lot of time in prayer about it to get his heart right.
2: Yeah. He could very easily have responded, you know, hey, if you don't like me, you know, forget you. I don't want to have anything to do with you. I mean, he could have been angry and bitter about it.
1: He could have been.
2: But instead, he responded in a different way.
1: That's right, and you know he's he's got that kind of character um which I really appreciate in him and so he asked the Lord to deal with his heart and the Lord did and heal his heart and so about a year later we traveled to Ipswich, which is over a thousand Ks away from yeah. Cairns.
2: Did she know you were coming?
1: uh no oh no
2: <laughs> so you're just going to surprise
1: yeah. her. Yes. Oh, wow. So we we got to the door and uh, mum opened it and Norman immediately gave her a hug and said, mum, I love you. Wow. And he meant it. Yeah. And uh, so what could she do? She let us in. <laughs> so that was the start. And then later on, she decided to visit us in Cairns.
2: Oh, so the relationship started from there. She didn't stay cold toward him?
1: Um, she realized that she had to come to terms with it, I think. And mm-hmm. I think he touched her heart. Hmm. Really.
2: Went her over, huh? With this loving, Christ-like manner.
1: Yes. And, and, of course, you know, was an answer to prayer as well. Mm-hmm. And so Mum came and visited us and uh, stayed with us, and Norman... Put fresh flowers in her room every day. Oh wow! Waited on her hand and foot. He was absolutely charming, and he meant it. It wasn't an act. And so, by the time it came for Mum to leave, she said quite sheepishly, "Can I take him with me?" <laughs> <laughs> because she'd never been treated that way by her own husband, and she just wow left it up basically. Talk about winning her over. He really did a great job. Big time. I mean, that tells
2: you a lot about his personality. Has he always had a a soft heart and loving heart?
1: I think so. Uh, I think so. And, uh, you know, genuine commitment to the Lord, coming from a very loving family, all of that helps.
0: You're listening to The Story. Today, author Barbara Miller is sharing with us her and her husband Norman's story as a couple. As we've been hearing, Norman is an Aboriginal Australian and he successfully brought about reconciliation with his mother-in-law. Next, we'll hear more about their life journeys and how reconciliation continues to be a major theme in their lives. All that and more is coming up when we return. The Story Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're back with more of Barbara Miller sharing with us her and her husband Norman's story as a couple. As we've been hearing, Norman is an Aboriginal Australian and they both have a heart for bringing about reconciliation in various ways. Now here's more of Barbara chatting with Eric Scatterbo. Okay, so now you've been married to Norman
2: for over 30 years. Let's go back to 1995 when you went to Brisbane. Why did you go there?
1: Well, basically, we went there because we had been at the Cairns Christian Center on the ministry team there, and I was a psychologist, and I was doing some counseling for them voluntarily. Mm -hmm. My husband was a youth leader. We did a Bible college there. And so then what happened is Teen Challenge asked if we, if I would go to Brisbane and work for them. Okay. And it was a very hard decision, but uh, we felt that the Lord had said yes. So we went. And so while we were there, basically what happened was that we saw an advertisement for a reconciliation. Meeting and it happened to be a, a Uniting Church in South Brisbane, and we were very interested in that.
2: So, what does it mean a reconciliation meeting?
1: Um, well, for for us, reconciliation means where there has been people who've been um, hurt in their relationships and need to reconcile. Um, that's what reconciliation is all about, and it can be between groups, not just between individuals. And uh, so, we were interested and we we went along to this Mm -hmm. meeting. Mm -hmm. And when we walked in, we were surprised that it was being led by an Anglican priest. Mm -hmm. And he prophesied over us before we had a chance to sit down. Oh, wow. And he said, you don't even need to do anything about reconciliation. You're a living, walking reconciliation.
2: (laughs) Just you two as a couple.
1: Yeah, so we sat down and and listened to the meeting, which was quite interesting. And then afterwards he had a private chat with us Mm -hmm. and he said, you know, what you need to be working on, if you're interested in racial reconciliation, you need to look at the original division between Jew and Gentile and do some work in reconciling or healing that because that's the original division that, Satan used as a platform uh, to be able to create the various other divisions in the world. Hmm. And you know that might not make sense to some other people, but it really spoke to us. And we thought, well we don't know very many Jewish people. Mm-hmm. So we asked the Lord for a download of his love for the Jewish people. And when we prayed that He answered us both instantly. Uh, so that was the start of another ministry for us of reaching out to Jewish people, which we have done since then.
2: So not only racial reconciliation, but also the division between Jew and Gentile.
1: Yes. Um, so we do work on other areas of reconciliation, uh, male, female, mm-hmm. rich, poor, old, young, uh, reconciliation between nations and ethnic groups. So uh, it it is a a fairly wide-reaching concept, but we have put a lot into the the Jewish Gentile area of reconciliation.
2: And what have you done?
1: Well, (laughs) it's quite a story. Uh, One of the things we did was uh, regarding Australia's position at Ebion during uh, the Holocaust or just really before it got really bad when the nations got together to deal with the, crisis of Jewish refugees, most of the nations turned their back or took very few. Australia was one who said, we don't have a racial problem and we're not desirous of importing one. So when we saw that on our first visit to Israel at Yad Vashem, a big plaque on the wall on Australia's position, we felt that we needed to apologise for that, Hmm. which we did. Starting in 2002, uh, we did that um, for a number of Jewish groups in Australia, and we've done that a number of times at Yad Vashem itself. Firstly, with a um, when Norman delivered a, uh, gave them a painting.
2: Your husband Norman is a painter, we should say.
1: Yes, he's an artist, mm. and uh, he did this beautiful um, painting of Beersheba, or Beersheba, where the um, Australian light horse had a lot to do with winning a battle there that opened the way for the ending of 400 years of Turkish rule of uh, the land of, of Palestine as, as it became known and today known as Israel. So he gave that painting as a gift when we made the apology in January 2004. And uh, since then we've done that again um, many years later by providing a beautiful plaque with the apology on it which we had prepared in Australia and we hoped it might sit beside the record in Yad Vashem but it actually hasn't been put beside it so I don't know where it's located. but
2: Somewhere in Israel.
1: Yes. Oh, yes, it'll be in Yad Vashem somewhere. <laughs> but you know, that was really a 10-year campaign for us to actually get the Australian government to apologize for Australia's position at Evion, And uh, Kevin Rudd did that in uh, December 2010, mm-hmm. and we were there for it.
2: Okay. And you've been to Israel several times? You lead groups there? Is that right?
1: Yes. We've been at least 10 times now. Mm-hmm. And basically for about seven years, from 2005 to 2011, we headed up the Australian delegation and also the Bethany Gate delegation, which took in part of Asia Pacific and basically went to yearly. This was for the Jerusalem House of Prayer for All Nations and mm-hmm. went to yearly conferences and made a presentation, led the prayer tower for that session, led a tour around um, Israel after the conference, etc.
2: Wow. So when you prayed for a heart for Jewish people, Gentile relations, I mean, you really have a heart. I mean, going back to where it all started in Israel?
1: Oh, well, you know, the Lord the Lord just kept opening doors, mm-hmm. and uh, we've just walked through them. And He's given us amazing favor, and I really praise Him for that. He really answered that prayer big time.
2: Wow. So do you think the fact that you are, well, I would say a mixed couple, a, an Aboriginal and a white Australian – do you think that somehow helps you open doors because of your background? Because you are a reconciled couple, I guess, as the uh, Anglican oh, trees say. I, I,
1: think it, I think it does. And we've um, hosted uh Sons of Abraham conference in Sydney in 2015 and in Israel um, in 2017. So for us to actually host a conference in Israel yeah. with Jews and Arabs and work on reconciliations being quite a big thing, but uh, the Lord has blessed that.
2: Yeah, sounds like he's using you in several different amazing ways. Let's find out about some more ways that you've been involved in ministry.
1: Okay, so the other thing is um, the Lord put on Norman's heart. He's, He's more so the vision carrier. Mm-hmm. and i'm the one who adds to the vision and puts legs on it basically <laughs> so we're a very good um team yeah we um we think alike we think together really well mm-hmm. but the lord uh, put on his heart initially to have some 24 7 conferences in australia in capital cities on a yearly basis we did that for 10 years And uh, the idea was um, closing the door to things that weren't of the Lord and opening the door to things that were, um, so included some spiritual warfare as well. Mm -hmm. So we had uh, four of those conferences were in Parliament House Canberra. Others were in capital cities like Sydney and Melbourne, some in regional areas. So it's been an amazing time.
2: And in addition to all that, you've, pastor to church, Norman and yourself, pastor to church for over 25 years?
1: Yes, we've recently celebrated, uh, or last year, 25 years of our ministry. So that is as pastors of the Tabernacle of David in Cairns, Mm because we have a strong focus on uh, on worship and prayer, and uh, also of our parachurch ministry, the Centre for International Reconciliation and Peace and we've worked in a number of nations on that. We've we've spoken at reconciliation conferences in Zimbabwe, uh, done some healing between the uh, Shona and the Ndebele. We've been to Indian reservations on reconciliation conferences and sharing there. So mm. it's been, and, and New Zealand as well, with mm. meetings with Mary. So it's been a, a wonderful opportunity that the Lord has uh, given us to do His work as as He's called us to do.
2: And so, as if that wasn't enough, in addition to all this ministry, both your church and para-church ministry, you've written several books over the years. Please tell us about your books.
1: Oh, well, yes. I've written over 10 books um, on my own and a number of books where I've put it a chapter in.
2: And one of your books, Forgive me, I can't remember exactly the title, but something along the lines of White Woman, Black Heart or something like that. Is that correct?
1: Uh, yes, yes. Um, So that's a memoir that I wrote in um, 2018. And basically, it's about how I helped the Aboriginal people or First Nations people of Marpoon, north of Weepa to move back to their land after they had been forced off for mining 11 years earlier in 1963. They were forced off. I helped them back in 74. Mm-hmm. And their houses were burnt down. The church was burnt down so oh, that wow. people wouldn't return. Mm-hmm. And so they, I guess one of the awesome things about that is it's a very well-functioning community. They've gradually rebuilt it and uh, they have built a church there And they're they're virtually in revival at the moment, which is rather exciting. And originally the Moravians had set up that mission at Marpoon, so it did have a Christian basis to start with. But it was wonderful, I mean, to help. The the people were really grieving Mm. about having forcibly moved by police from that community, so to, to go back and rebuild has been a really big thing. So for me to be part of that was a real privilege.
2: Yeah, that sounds fantastic. So obviously, as we're hearing your story, a major theme is your heart for helping oppressed people and helping different groups that aren't getting along to reconcile. Would that be a a fair statement?
1: Yes, it would.
2: So the Lord's really been tugging your heart. And obviously, being married to Norman, you got to have your eyes open to the plight of aboriginal people in australia
1: absolutely and if i could follow that up i had so much information that i had to pull it out of that first memoir and i did a second memoir last year called secrets and lies (laughs) that was just really to get attention but what it focused on initially was the, the Moravians had also set up a, a mission of Arakoon which was taken over by the Presbyterians and then the Uniting Church. In 1978 the bielke Peterson government had some issues with the church wanted to get rid of them out of the community and uh, basically the people said no we want the church to stay they are working with us towards self-management and so um, I was involved in working with the North Queensland Aboriginal Land Council at that time voluntarily to support the community to keep the church there. Mm-hmm. Eventually, we did lose that battle. But uh, it it was important, I think, at least uh, to know that missionaries tend to have bad press, but you know, Aboriginal people often really appreciate the role that missionaries have had Mm -hmm. in their communities as well.
2: Wow. Well, the Lord has been using you in remarkable ways to bring reconciliation to groups that have been at odds with each other, but you've been working along with Norman to help bring reconciliation. I should add that you are also, besides being a pastor, you're a mediator, a psychologist, and a teacher and as we've been talking about, an author as well. So you're pretty busy. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today.
1: Thank you, Eric, much appreciated and God bless you.
0: Well, that was part one of Eric Scatterbo's conversation with Barbara Miller, who's the author of several books, including three on the remarkable life of William Cooper. Barbara says Cooper is the closest Australia has to a Martin Luther King figure, and she'll share with us his story next time. But first, if you'd like to learn more about Barbara and her many books, you can go to her website, barbara miller books Dot com. Once again, that's barbara-miller-books.com Also, as we heard today, a major theme of Barbara and her husband Norman's lives has been reconciliation. So appropriately, their church and ministry's website is reconciliationandpeace.org That's reconciliationandpeace.org Dot org. Finally, we'll end today with a Bible verse that is in keeping with today's theme. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, which says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Well, until next time, when Barbara will share with us William Cooper's story, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story...
1: There's been a huge number of instances of honoring of William Cooper in Australia, plus also at Yad Vashem in Israel where Norman and I were privileged to attend. And there were 17 parliamentarians from Australia from a bipartisan group. And uh, basically, William Cooper was honored there with the chair of resistance to the Holocaust named after him.
0: William Cooper championed the rights of Indigenous people his entire life, but he also fought for the rights of people outside of Australia as well. Most notably, in the 1930s, he organised a march to protest the treatment of Jews at the start of the Holocaust. Author Barbara Miller will share with us about the remarkable life of William Cooper next time. The story, just another way, vision is helping you look to God daily.